It is 12.04 right here. Dr. Payne Show, one 855 Dr. Lou, D-R-L-O-U, or info at paincarecanada.com. That is uh, anytime, but right now, if you want to call in, have questions, have health concerns, bring them on, 416-870-6400, star 640. On your cell phone, we're here till uh, till one o'clock, man. What, what if questions. someone wants to call from a landline? That's fine. <laughs> They're not allowed. No, <laughs> only from cell phones. Not. We're That's only right. accepting those calls That's today. Right. Yeah. <laughs> do you still have a landline? Yeah, yeah actually, you do. I do wow, it, you're old school, dude. No, it was because actually I was talking about this yesterday. It was cheaper when we got the internet and yeah, TV and stuff. It. Yeah, it was cheaper to get it bundled with a landline. Yeah. Otherwise, it was actually more expensive. So I was like, okay, and all I do is get like junk phone calls on that landline. So. Why do they still? Why do they still push their landlines? I have no idea. In 2017. You know, it's cheaper. I don't, I don't care. I don't want it. It's cheaper, sir. I don't care. I'll pay the five <laughs> bucks a month not to have it. All right. No, yeah, exactly. That. So what's going on? You were ranting in the hallway about some stuff. Some changes happening. Well, there's some. Uh, yeah, I guess you know. Obviously, we try not to make this show overly political, but I do think with um, um, some of the things that are happening in the auto insurance industry, and I work closely with uh, these things both on. Uh, the plaintiff side when people are hurt and also on the other side mm-hmm. uh, with the insurers, I do think it's important that I just, or not important, but at least I wanted to voice my opinion about these things because I think they're being a little mischaracterized in the media. There were a couple of articles in uh, the Globe and Mail this right. past week um, about what's called an, an IME, which stands for an independent medical assessment so or examination. So sometimes what will happen is if you're hurt in, in a car accident, specifically in this type of case, Um, you'll be sent for these independent assessments where you see uh, a doctor hired on by the insurer, um, or it could be hired on by the lawyer, depending on which side is is asking you to go to that IME. Um, And anyways, there were some some articles basically characterizing how bad these doctors working for the insurance companies are and how it's this big evil scam and they're just making all kinds of money. And, you know, there are bad, there's bad in every profession, sure. right? And there's there are some people doing some bad work on the IME side for sure. Uh, but the vast majority, I can tell you, I, I work in this industry as well. I'm both, again, the the plaintiff and the defense side, I could tell you that the vast majority, like 99% of the people that I work with, or everyone I work with, uh, but even the names that I've seen and I see a lot of these uh, files, these are just good people doing what they're supposed to be doing. These are, you know, for them to say in some of these articles, they were essentially saying that they never see the patient. All this stuff, it's not true. Like the, the doctors that I work with, they see the patient, they review the full medical file, they do an examination and they just give their opinion. Um, and and one thing that this article did not bring up is how much fraud there also th- again there may very well be fraud mm-hmm. on the insurance side absolutely I'm not I'm not saying that that's impossible but what these articles are not bringing up is how much fraud exists on the other side on the side of either uh, on the plaintiff in terms of people mm-hmm. lying about the extent yep. of their injuries um, and maybe the personal injury lawyers making them worse than they really are. Um, and so those things, there's fraud happening on both sides. And there's plenty of articles that um, in cases where there's access to, that anyone, the general public can go to and look at, you know, where, where judges have essentially dismissed these things because they've essentially said, like, you know, there was so much opportunity for you to do the things that you wanted to do and you just kept delaying it. And so that's where all of these fees. And and I guess when you really look at this, in, in a sense, the auto industry in Ontario is somewhat broken because of the rates that we pay. And we pay these high rates because of what's happening in this auto industry where you have, um, you know, fraud on one side, fraud 
out on the other side. And so it affects everyone. And, you know, there's some proposed, the the Ontario Liberals have just proposed going ahead with some recommendations from what was called the Marshall Report on the auto insurance industry. And again, some of those changes I think would probably help. Uh, and I also think there's some changes in there that they're proposing that are not going to do anything. In fact, they'll probably make the system overall worse. So I don't think I think this is too much of a political play in the sense like let's try to do something in uh, an election year. I think I think the auto industry does need reform because, again, we all know how much we pay mm -hmm. uh, for our for our car insurance and how expensive it is here in Ontario. But I do think that this is something that needs to be done appropriately um, it needs to be calculated and it needs to be implemented in the right way through proper channels. Um, and they just need to do more research on this. Like, how do we actually fix it? Because in 2010, there were changes that came into play with what's now called the minor injury guideline. And that was supposed to fix the system. And it didn't. We're still in the same place. Our, our auto insurance is still as high as it's ever been. Have you noticed a drop in the last 10 no, years? No, sir. Exactly. So, And these were all things where it was like this old system was so broken that we were paying all this money. And so let's uh, do something new and that'll solve all the problems. And that's what we've got right now. We've they're just It's just a play on anytime things seem somewhat broken, you try to put a Band-Aid on it. But I don't think these things need a Band-Aid. I think at this point, what needs to happen is it needs to be completely reviewed, um, not by just one person or one panel, but by multiple different entities uh, to figure out what is the best way of going about this. And, you know, it was funny with um, uh, the Marshall Report that came out about the auto uh, insurance industry. There were some things there uh, about, you know, how the, the auto insurance works. The person who did that report uh, used to work for WSIB, hmm. and WSIB has the same problems. Like, if, if you're going to sit there and say that WSIB assesses people the right way and that there's no fraud happening on that end, it's absolutely wrong. So, again, I think there needs to be impartial people that are hired to to look at this. But that's my little rant on on the auto insurance industry. Your phone calls, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. We're going to get into injuries and the stuff that all that winter weather brings after a short break here. It's the Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. It is 12-12 Saturday afternoon. Yeah, give us a call. We've got lots of room to get you in. Ask your uh, pain, your health questions to uh, to Dr. Lou here's and here to answer them right till uh, till one o'clock today. Jeff, good afternoon. How are you, pal? Good afternoon. Not too bad, guys. Uh just a couple of quick questions. Mm -hmm. Um and um my situation is um I have chronic liver disease, and uh, I have also have cirrhosis, and um, I've lost about uh, 25 to 30% of my liver. Um, so I am uh, currently working full-time, uh, but um, I'm having, you know, um, a very difficult uh, time uh, working the full-time hours. Uh, but, you know, the employer is not providing any flexibility at all. So I do have a, a long-term disability insurance plan, <clears throat> excuse me, through work. Um, so uh, I was um, uh, thinking of uh, applying for LTD, um, but uh, last time I did, they said I had to go see one of their doctors, um, you know, and at the time I didn't want to disclose my, uh, my condition, my health condition. Um, so um, I'm just curious, through your experience, are in general, are the employer's uh, physicians, are they there just to deny claims, um, no. to, 
you know, look at you in any way possible that uh, will give them an out so that they don't have to provide the claim. Yeah, so so what I can tell you first and foremost, obviously I'm not a lawyer that deals with long-term disability uh, insurance, and I do think if this is a good question probably for Savan, right? So mm-hmm. um, uh, contacting Savan to Markin, who, who, who also has the personal injury hour, um, I, I believe on Sundays and yep. a couple times throughout, yep. I, I believe even Saturday evenings, he would be a good person to really talk to okay. if you're interested about the legal ramifications of how you go about this, how you do it the right way. Um, and he can definitely help you with that. In terms of okay. uh, like just your your last question, are the doctors there to deny? No. Insurance companies hire um, other companies to find assessors to assess these things. Every physician's job, every doctor's job, anyone that's a healthcare professional, first and foremost, they've sworn um, to be ethical and to do the right thing for patients. And so can I promise you that every single doctor that works on the insurance side or whatever side is 100% ethical and only does the right thing? No, I I can't promise you that. What I can tell you is that all of the healthcare professionals that I know always try to do what's best for the patient. And if someone truly has an issue then, then they, they just give their medical opinion. And, and the reality is these assessments, uh, whether it's for something like this, a long-term disability or a car accident or WSB, all they really are is a way to police the system. Otherwise, people would just abuse yeah. the system and take sure. advantage of it. And so, you know, there needs to be a, a body, an organization, and that's what these IMEs are, that um, essentially police the industry and give their opinion about a person um, and if you truly have a problem and it's truly affecting your ability to work, then I, I can't see why anybody would make it their mission to want to deny you um, if if they, you know, that. So so the simple answer here is no, this is not it's not some conspiracy where, you know, we're all huddled in a room and all we're looking for is a way to deny people. Um, yes. we, we do what's right. The reality is, is there's a lot of fraud that happens. A lot of people lie about their, their problems sure. and it's, and it's our job as healthcare professionals doing these independent exams to essentially try to understand if someone is telling you something that makes sense or doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. Exactly. And we're trying to yeah. essentially find who are the ones that truly need it and who are the ones that don't need it. Is that system perfect? No, not necessarily. Do, you know, do other things get in the way of making the appropriate, um, diagnosis sometimes absolutely but that's where something like this where you you teaming up with a personal injury lawyer and i would recommend savan for sure uh for that is is the best way to go about that and and john you do that show so you know savan's number yeah we'll uh, yeah we'll send jeff uh, jeff we'll keep your number we'll uh, we'll get you that contact jeff as far as your workplace is concerned have you have you medical documentation and you've shown it to them uh, no, I'm um, uh, I'm in the process of filling out all the forms. It's quite, <laughs> it's like uh, you know, uh, filling out the forms as if I'm going to Mars or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's quite the complicated. But well, you said you said your uh, your workplace wouldn't uh, wouldn't budge, or is that what you said? Well, previously I um, uh, I was denied LTD, but that was because I was unwilling to give up my confidentiality. I didn't want to tell them that I had uh, tell a liver who? disease. Uh, tell my employer. They don't. They don't uh, they're allowed to. Lo- they're allowed to know prognosis, not diagnosis. You don't yeah. have to tell them what's wrong with you. Yeah, they only need to. They know legally your can't ask you that. Yeah, they can oh, say when okay. you're going to come back. They don't have to ask what's wrong with you. Yeah. So um, this doctor, though, that the employer uh, asked me to go to, um, would wouldn't he be the, uh, looking for a diagnosis? Because he's a doctor. Uh, well, he's not yeah, your employer, he's a doctor. Right? He would have to review 
the medical yeah. file, absolutely. Yeah, there's there'd be no way for him. You know, imagine that that doctor was me. There would be no way for me to make a recommendation on your overall case if I don't know everything about your case. So you yeah. don't have to just because the doctor who's being hired by the insurance company employer. knows the yeah. diagnosis doesn't mean that the employer is going to end up knowing the diagnosis. Right. That, oh. th that's still for yeah. me. It's confidential. I'm just yeah. providing my opinion. It's not the employer, right? It's the insurer. So I'm yeah. providing my opinion back to the insurer and okay. the insurer does not have to tell um, the employer what your diagnosis is. The, yeah. An employer is only allowed to know your limitations and your prognosis, as yeah. John said. Not diagnosis. Uh, yeah, oh, and, and, okay. and even, you know, uh, that's something that uh, Lior would, would yep. talk about a lot for sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd say start by giving Savannah a call and, and he can point you in the right direction because him and Lior also work together. So if there's an employment issue... Um, and there you go. Yeah, I got your number, Jeff. Well, uh, I'll get you those two uh, two numbers for Lior and Savannah as well. Again, that's the thing, though. That's why I asked about his employer. It's a duty to accommodate. They have to accommodate. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. There's like three different shows coming here yeah, at once. Yeah, you yeah. Know. Lior and Savannah owe me right now. They got it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the Dr. Fane <laughs> yeah, show. Exactly. 416-870-6400, star 640. On your cell. Lots more coming up. It is the actual Dr. Payne Show right here on <laughs> Global News Radio 640 Toronto. It is 1221 Dr. Payne Show 416-870-6400 star 640 on your cell. You've got pain. You have questions, uh, health questions, issues. Bring them on. Uh, Dr. Lou here to answer them up until uh, 1 o'clock this afternoon. It is soon going to be time, and by soon I mean Monday, with <laughs> potentially 4 to 10 centimeters of snow, that it's going to be slip and fall season back here. There's going to be ankles, there's going to be hips, there's going to be necks, there's going to be all anything, kinds of stuff anything, coming through your head, clinic. Head right? to toe, you, you could start, yeah, for sure, you could start at the head. You could might slip, fall, have a concussion. Right. Um, you can injure your spine somewhere. You can injure an extremity. You're falling. You stretch your arm out to stop your fall. You might hurt your elbow, your wrist. You might hurt your hip, as you said, your knee, your foot. Anything is really Tailbone possible. Tailbone action. Yeah, That's it's right. really, all of it is possible. Um, actually, and, and in bringing up this this issue, there was a sad case that I heard um, through one of my colleagues at work where uh, a young girl was not, not involved in a slip and fall, but was involved in a car accident. I guess she had a little bit of a, a trauma to her head when it happened. Um, she ended up passing away because, uh, yeah, she, she probably had some type of issue going on, uh, some type of hemorrhage. I don't know the extent of the details, uh, but I do know that she hit her head, she had a headache, and then all of a sudden um, she she ended up passing away. And so uh, it's very, very important. My point on why I'm bringing this up is right. after you have a slip and fall or some type of trauma, it's very, very important to get checked out. Now, most people will think, oh, I got to go to the hospital. I have to go to the hospital. That's not necessarily true. There's a lot of there's a lot of tests that I can do in my office simply by seeing me or want somebody in my team that you can do a quick scan of the neurological system to see if there's anything there. And then if we pick something up, we could say, okay, you're, now you got to go to your merge. And, and that would actually expedite you, right? Versus you just being triaged in a merge. If you've already had someone, a healthcare professional who's looked at you, and said, hey, there might be a potential brain bleed here or something going on, uh, you'll be expedited when you're when you're at emergency. Smart. That's smart thinking. Yeah. So yeah. so there is a better way to go about it. Now, obviously, you know, if you're unconscious or whatever, the ambulance is just gonna take you to emerge because they've already triaged that. But a lot of quick fender benders, what'll happen is um the person will just say, Yeah, no, I feel fine. Just go get checked out. Yep. That's it's very, very simple. And again, don't think, oh, I got to go to a hospital to get checked out. If you're listening, just give us a call. Give me and my team a call. Uh, we're open seven days a week. Someone will be able to check you out. It's it's You just go in, you get checked out. If everything's good, you're good. You're sent on your way. If you're not, then you'll be sent to the right people. But um, 
it, it's nothing to take lightly. And the other thing too is in a lot of these things. Let's take since we're since we're doing the the personal injury <laughs> show right now. It, let's take into consideration you're in a slip and fall and uh, and you fall and you don't go seek attention right away. And there's eventually a claim. I'm sure Savannah would say that the sooner you get this type of stuff started, the better, because yep. there's quicker documentation. Things are being put down. Take pictures, all you, that stuff. Exactly. Yeah, and it's very, very important that you do that. But focusing on the health uh, thing, uh, the health side of things, it's also important to get assessed right away because your prognosis is better when you catch things early. And a lot of times right. I, I see a lot of people who are involved in pretty severe car accidents uh, or slip and falls and you know for the first week or two weeks they're not feeling that horrible right Um, and then all of a sudden once the body starts to calm down and things start to set in boom everything's there in fact there's some cases where people don't feel worse till years and years later and you know when you just look at this from a, a purely physics perspective when you look at the transfer of energy when you're dealing with something like a car accident the amount of mass in that vehicle, the speed that it's going at, and it's being transferred into human tissue. That, you know, there's gonna be ramifications, although you may not feel them right away there will be issues that develop. And the same thing is with slip and falls, depending on how bad it is. You know, you slip off a, you know, and you go down a couple sets of stairs, that, that's nothing to, it's nothing to just, yeah, to, to write off. That's, that's, you know, it's a serious injury. And, and again, depending, do you have other things going on that diminish your prognosis? Like, are you somebody that already has other types of diseases um, that may affect your recovery time. Uh, what's your age? How healthy are you? All of right. these things are going to um, determine prognosis. And so it's always best to get checked out right away. And, you know, it's usually not the people that have those issues that don't get checked. It's the people who just think themselves to be absolutely healthy. Say, ah, no, you know, I just fell. It's not that big of a deal. It can lead to the other issues. Just go get checked out. It's really, really important. You must, you must lose count of how many people are like, you know, I thought it was okay. I was in a car accident or whatever two weeks ago. I was fine. Now I can barely walk. My knee's killing me. Oh, yeah. It happens all the time. And, and you know, can I tell you exactly why it happens? I think a component of it is adrenaline. You know, in yeah. the initial stage, your your body's just amped up. And, and that may have some type of half-life that ends up lasting longer than just 24 hours. Uh, the other thing is... Yeah, some some things just end up rearing their heads a, a little bit later. But you're right. I, I see it all the time of people who who come in and and it's very rarely, hey, I was in a car accident today or yesterday and I'm in all kinds of pain. Because usually if they're that bad, they've gone to the eMERGE, right? right? Uh, and they're probably on a heavy dosage of medication just to help calm it down. But for the more regular fender bender types of things, you're right. It does tend to be weeks later that someone's coming in and saying, you know, I got into this car accident a couple weeks ago. It wasn't anything major. I was feeling fine. Uh, But, you know, the last few days, yeah, my knee is off. My back is off. just doesn't feel right. Um, And, yeah, that's absolutely possible and likely a result of that car accident or that slip and fall, whatever it may be. I mean, I knowing working with you and, and Savannah and everybody, I know so much more now, but I've done it when I was young. Take, take a header on a wet stairs on the, on the TTC going down the sub, but you feel like a D-bag. You don't want to stop. You, it's yeah. an embarrassment that gets you up and gets yeah. you out of there. Like, yeah. I'll deal with it later. Yeah, exactly. And then two days later, you're like, oh, man, I should have told somebody. Yeah, yeah. But you feel like an idiot. Yeah, for sure. Right? Well, a good example, too, is, of, you know, when you look at people, if anyone that's worked out, when you lift weights, mm-hmm. do you feel pain b- because right. of that right away? No, yeah. it's usually 24 to 48 hours later uh, because it takes time. So for- do you want 
that pain. Yeah, you want the, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. You want that pain, yeah. uh, but just to show that that injury, like because right. that's really what working out is. It's it's controlled micro trauma of a muscle, uh, but injury does take time for you to actually feel it. It's not something that you necessarily will feel in that minute or 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 an hour later. It can take twenty four to forty eight hours. Uh, after the injury and in something serious like a, a car accident, it could potentially be even longer. Having said that, I mean, this time of year coming up where there's going to be a lot of slip and falls, would you recommend, depending on where or what somebody's injured, you would say, you know what, this this requires faster attention. If it's head, if it's neck, is that more uh, of an emergency, more of a red flag than, say, a hip or a knee? Well, well again, going back to, you know, when you look at um, the potential consequences, you should always, as a healthcare professional, always think, what's the worst case scenario right. here, right? So there's some things, obviously the head, right? You yeah. you injure your head, you're not feeling right, you got to get that checked out because you don't know. You might think it's a concussion, but a, a brain hemorrhage can almost present the same way as a concussion. Um, and a concussion is is there's no actual uh, trauma that you're going to be able to detect like on an MRI versus inside. hemorrhaging is mm -hmm. your brain is bleeding. That's that's a very, very serious thing. And if you don't get that controlled, that's potentially fatal. Um, you know, then you think about maybe an older person who slips and falls, uh, has a history of osteoporosis and hits their hip. That's potentially life threatening too, right? You want to make sure there's no fracture in that hip or in that sacrum, the pelvis, et cetera. So yes, yeah, some injuries I think need uh, more serious attention, you know, spine related stuff. You never know. Did you fracture something? Are you, there's a lot of people who have serious spinal fractures. And don't know it. And don't know it. It's not necessarily that they can't move around, but they're just one wrong step away from that Whoa. from that fracture oh, potentially man. causing them to be paralyzed. Wow. So, so yeah, if you have, you know, what I call that that when you look at skull and and spine, uh, that's called the appendicular skeleton. Um, and then the axial skeleton is the rest. Definitely when you have head, spine-related traumas, I think it's very, very important that those things get checked out. Now, does that mean that if you have hand trauma that it's not that big of a deal? No, but at least it's not life-threatening. You right. know what I mean? You're, you're, yeah. you're not at risk of potentially dying within 48 hours if your hand's a little bit sore. Uh, but definitely if you're feeling stuff in the head, the spine, uh, that's that's something that I think get checked out. Don't don't wait. Short break, open lines for you. You have pain, you have questions about anything we've talked about, neck, back, headaches, bring it all on, 416-870-6400, star 640. On cell, it's Dr. Pain Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1231, Dr. Payne Show. Lots of time for you to call in and talk to us. Just ignore our music. It's okay. Yeah, this one, that, it's like a Bon Tempe organ when one. I was a kid. Gotta, Jody's got to do something about this one. It's a keyboard cat. <laughs> totally. You know, we're talking about uh, injuries when they happen. Get on them because that time of year is coming up. Got uh, Gordon online. Hey, Gordon, how are you? Not bad, sir. Good. Uh, What's going on with you? Question... Uh... For Dr. Lou here. Sure. Dr. Lou, uh, it's not so much regarding a fall or uh No problem. Ask me whatever you got to ask me. Okay, here we go. I've been diagnosed with something called clotta equina. Clotta equina, yep. Equina. Yep. I've been told by my physician as of yesterday that it's quite serious. Mm -hmm. I'm now losing control of uh, some of my movements here. Yep. And uh, I've been told that uh, surgery is absolutely necessary. And yep. if I don't, I'm putting not only my mobility uh, at risk, but also my life at right. risk. Can you uh, kind of enlighten me on this? First what is that? Minute? Yeah, so, so cauda equina, so what happens is when you look, so I'll give everybody a lesson in neurology here. Mm -hmm. You've got the brain, 
Below the brain is the brain stem. Uh, behind that is the cerebellum, whatever. Then we get into the spinal cord. The spinal cord is one um, piece of cord up until about L1, L2. At that point, it becomes a cauda equina. Cauda equina in Latin, I believe, means horse tail. Horse tail. Yeah. Um, and because that's what it looks like. If we were to open up a person's spine after L1, it just looks like Spreads a bunch out. of nerve fibers. It right. looks like a horse's tail. Cauda equina syndrome is, for whatever reason, usually related to some type of serious disc protrusion where the jelly spilling into the spinal canal is putting pressure on those nerves. Okay. The pressure on those nerves is now causing things like loss of bowel bladder function, uh, usually an, uh, saddle anesthesia, uh, anesthesia in the crotch area, that you may start losing uh, control of your limbs down there. It is 100% absolutely a medical emergency, Gordon. And you will, if you have, if it has been confirmed that you have caught equina, I, I would automatically tell you, go ahead with that surgery because that surgery could be the difference between having full function and, and potentially having no function and potentially being, yes, life-threatening. Um, so not, not to scare you, but it, it sounds like they've caught it. And if they're suggesting surgery, you should go ahead with that, especially if it is there, because you will need it. Did you have like a disc herniation leading up to this? What was what was yes, the? Yes, yeah, I did. I have spinal stenosis as a result of osteoarthritis and uh, disc herniation. Yeah, I've also been told that the uh, surgery, in layman's terms, is called spinal fusion, which uh, yeah, I've heard from more than a surgeon and a GP as well that the uh, success rate is eighty percent. Mm -hmm. The remaining twenty can be anywhere from a minor. Uh, uh, infection along the spinal uh, yeah. the spine, all right up to and including paralysis from uh, that vertebrae down. Yes, but you and, and again, everything has its risks and its benefits. And I know eighty percent sounds like oh, that's a, a big chance to take. That twenty percent might be bad, but the risk of you having all of those things if you don't do it is probably eighty percent. So. Um, so you're, you're in a position where you should definitely consider it again. I, I'm not, I can't give you a specific recommendation and say yes or no, but just based on the sounds of this, uh, it sounds like you're on the right track. I, I would have, I would continue to have very serious conversations with your family doctor and the surgeon. And if they're recommending it, just ask the right questions. Uh, but I, I believe if they're recommending, no, no one want, no professional wants to do spine surgery to somebody if they don't have to. And if they don't think that there's a much greater benefit than there is risk to it. So um, Codequina is nothing to to take lightly. I tell my patients that I see that I have disc herniations, uh, that that's always a potential cause or a potential thing that can happen. You might do something, you might move a wrong way. All of a sudden, all that disc material starts to prolapse into the spinal canal, putting pressure on the codequina, leading to codequina syndrome. I always tell people that have disc herniation, spinal stenosis, if at any time you start thinking the feeling that you've lost control of your bowel bladder, and that's whether you can't control it or whether you think you have to go and you can't go, um, and you start getting numbness, tingling in the genital areas, and your legs start to feel really, really funny. That's nine one one right away. There is no, there's no, there's no time to to just right. fool around. Get on it, yeah, and say oh, I'll wait till next week. No, it it is what it is. Yeah, eighty twenty is good. That's a good. I mean, that's you know, it's, I think better than the alternative. If I, if I said you know buy a Lotto Max ticket, you got an eighty percent chance of winning fifty five million. You're gonna buy a ticket? Damn yeah, right, oh, you're yeah, gonna buy a ticket. I'm gonna buy more than a couple, <laughs> yeah, exactly. more than one. Doesn't sound too bad. Now, got uh, Mike online. Hey, Mike, how are you, pal? I'm well, thank you. Good. Um, what's going on? Not much. My son was in a motor vehicle accident about uh, three weeks ago this Monday. Right. And he's been suffering uh, still concussion symptoms. Mm -hmm. He had nausea and dizziness. Now those have subsided, but the actual. Uh, headache is still there. Right. How old is your son? 
22. And was he checked out after this? He went to emergency, but they just really diagnosed it as concussion. Right okay, yeah, bat. no, that, that's good enough. That's that's what I mean. Like, the, the, the ER doctors are going to be able to pick up if there's something more serious there. Now, the good thing is after three weeks, like... You know, timelines also tell you a lot. Something like a brain hemorrhage pr- progresses very, very quickly. So, so yeah, you're probably right, and the doctors are probably right that it is a concussion. Um, but those concussions can stick around for, for a significant amount of time if you don't do the right things for them. So what has your son been doing in the meantime? I've actually been sending it to this oxygen uh, therapy place. Um, I for the life of me, I can't remember what it's called, but it's pressurized and it's 100% medical grade oxygen that they pressurize this capsule that you're in. Right. It's something that uh, I think Crosby went through. Yeah. That's been out of my pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and um, really, that's it. Staying, he's lost three weeks of work because it's uh, because it was work related, because it was during work hours. That's the other like that's the other problem. Is it WSIB or is it motor vehicle accident? That, that again, that's that's going to be a question for Savan. So again, you're you're going to be a good person. Savan's going to uh, do quite well. Uh, but uh, I think in my experience, people that I've had patients that have had this scenario where there's a car accident, but while working, and they have the choice on whether they choose the car insurer or whether they choose WSIB and you have to pick one or the other and you can't go both ways that I can tell you for sure. Um, Most people uh, in my experience end up picking the WSIB because they're worried about income replacement. But remember there's ways to replace your income through the car insurer as well. Um, So I think that's a question for Savan and his team um, on what is the best option for your son. And and I I can't really comment on which one he should. I I realize that that's one of the things we've been having around the coffee table for the longest time. The conversation is, you know, it is it, uh, WSIB, and in 10 years or 15 years, because they'll be around still, you know, and the claim was made, then they can retreat it. If it's an insurance thing, it's uh, it's sort of done and over with, I believe. Mm, I, I don't know. I Not necessarily, but again, that's not my area of expertise. What I can tell you, the main focus as well should be on trying to get your your son better. Um, if you're interested, I, I would say bring your son and one of my colleagues, Dr. Adrian Rossi, um, does a lot of neuro uh, rehabilitation with concussion patients. And I think he'd be a very, very good person um, to assess your son and determine if there's more things that can be done along with the things that he's potentially already doing um, that can that can help in, in his uh, prognosis. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. No problem. Take care. And we'll take a short break. Phone lines are open. You have questions, uh, conditions as well. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. It is the Dr. Payne Show. It's Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1242 up till 1 o'clock this afternoon. Dr. Payne Show, yeah. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale is the... uh, the number to call to get through, ask your questions. Headaches are always big this time of year. Temperature change. It went through, I, I can say personally, about seven people in my family went through a migraine over the span of a week. It was like yeah. going through the whole house. Yeah, headaches I think it was are... climate change or temperature change anyway, right? Potentially, for sure, could just be related to, you know, when we say temperature change, it's it's hard to determine what is it. I, I One of my small theories is that as things get colder, our muscles tense up more. Um, and so it's just not necessarily a headache being caused from the head, but by the muscles of the neck and the shoulders, um, work-related stuff. I think during this time of the year, people are also less active. 
in general, just because mm-hmm. when it's nice, you'll go out, you'll move around a little bit more. And again, that keeps the muscles nice and healthy versus um, when you're not doing those things, then things are going to tense up. But yeah, headaches are are very common. I mean, headaches are common all the time, though. It's not like, uh, you know, only on uh, December 8th does, do people uh, get headaches. But there's something that people are, are always complaining about. We've talked about this, that, you know, if this is a new headache, if you have a new headache mm-hmm. today, um, those are often more serious in terms, not serious in the sense that they are serious, but you got to pay a little bit more attention as to what's potentially causing that, right? Because some very bad things like hemorrhaging, since we were talking about strokes can cause headaches. Um, Usually those types of things, people will characteristically describe the worst headache they've ever experienced in their whole life. That's, that's how bad those headaches would be. Um, And so if you've ever, if you ever at any point in your life start to experience a headache, that feels like the worst headache you've ever had in your life, you need to get checked because that could be stroke, could be hemorrhage. And also, again, depending on the other things of the case, like are you elderly or are you on certain medications? Do you have heart disease? Those things will tip you off towards, you know, this is more likely or less likely, but that's a professional's job to determine that. Um, You know, things like tumors can cause headaches as well. Uh, Those tend to get progressively worse as time goes on as well. Uh, but the vast, vast majority, you know, 99% of headaches are just simply related to um, mechanical things, the neck, the, uh, the, uh, the shoulders, um, and, and the muscles and the joints and how they all interact based on posture and the different things we do day to day. And that's good that those are the vast majority because those are also the ones that are going to be easiest to treat, right? Obviously, treating a tight muscle is much easier than treating a brain tumor. Um, and so uh, there's lots and lots of healthcare professionals uh, whether they're my team or, or not, uh, that can help with those things. So if you're a long-term sufferer of headaches, uh, haven't had good results on trying to figure them out, give me a chance. Let, let me assess you. Let me see what I think it is um, and see if we can't find something that can help you. Sometimes then you get into the migraine types of now, headaches. I was, I was right? just about, like, how do you, when someone comes to you and you diagnose it as a migraine, I mean, there's 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 maybe the physical thing you can do, and then there's we know there's pills out there that are like hundreds of dollars each. Yeah. Apparently they work, but they're yeah. big bucks. They're big bucks, yeah. Migraines are a little bit different because they, like, we, we're not really sure why migraines happen. The, the theory is it's more related to vascular flow um, to the brain. So that's, that's not really like, can you push on a muscle and change that? Maybe, maybe not. There is some research to suggest that doing different things, uh, to the neck can increase blood flow, uh, to the brain and potentially that could help or worsen, right? I've had, there have, I know of cases of people who thought, okay, I'm going to get some treatment on my neck as well, but it causes a flare up of their, of their migraine. Yeah, it's also possible. Um, so migraines are a little bit different in my experience. I think that a combination, right? Like everything that I always say is, is trying to use a little bit of everything at your disposal is probably best. Like if you can use the medications, you can have a good, healthy lifestyle, exercise the right way, and also get some therapy. That's probably the best approach. Um, migraines, once somebody has a migraine, migraines often come along with other signs and symptoms where people will say, I, get, you know, blurry vision or sparkles or sparkles, uh, or I hear weird noises. Obviously, if this is the first time you're experiencing that, you have to rule out other potential causes of that first, because again, brain tumor strokes, any type of neurological disorder could potentially cause those things. So in a way, a migraine is almost a diagnosis of exclusion on once you've been, once a healthcare professional has ruled out those more serious things that can present the same way, then you can kind of say, this is, this is a migraine that's causing those things. Um, and then, yeah, you're right. There, there are some very good medications out there for migraines. But like anything, the the issue with um, with interventions is 
as you do them, right. they start to work less and less because your body adapts, right? And that's just the reality of you can talk to people that have never taken an Advil before, and then all of a sudden they have something, they take an Advil, and they say, wow, that that is amazing. I, like, I've never felt... Yeah, it's like drinking your first beer. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, by the time a year later you're talking to them about Advil, it's like, yeah, it does yeah, nothing for me. Or I now need to take, yeah. take them every three or four hours in order to have an effect. The same is true for physical interventions as well, right? We all know that if, if, if I'm, uh, you know, very, very unhealthy and I start walking 20 minutes every day, I'm going to have a certain... Um, advantage to that and I'm going to get a little bit healthier. But at a certain point, I, I need to change that because my yeah. body will adapt. Same thing happens with physical therapies, right? People that go get massage consistently. The first massage will say, wow, I feel amazing. Like I've never felt so good. And then by the time they've done it for a few months, it's like, yeah, it, it helps, but it, it's... It's not helping as much. I find. lackluster compared yeah. to the first time. Right? Yeah, and a lot of people oh. will blame that on the therapist. They'll be like, I don't think that therapist is that good anymore. And they'll try somebody else and they'll be like, oh, I feel so much better. All that really is is that you, you've you broken adaptation. You have someone else that's doing the massage in a different way. Um, and, and anyone that's a very, very good practitioner will know that their interventions are are potentially going to be adaptable to that person and will have less and less of an effect. That's why when I you know, have me and my team, when we intervene, I always talk to people about this, about dose and response. We don't want to get someone used to the things we're doing, especially if they're working really well, because that's a good tool for us to have in our pocket. Should these things continue to, to present themselves at that point, we can then use that intervention when we absolutely So need. you'll change it up if you have to? Absolutely. Just so they'll get used to it in, in a sense? Absolutely. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. very, very important to change the interventions and do the things that you're doing in different ways um, and not get people used to it. That's why I like to uh, you know, let's let's say something like uh, back pain, right? And I've recommended someone to see uh, one of our chiropractors. They're going to get, I, I like to, for them to get a heavy dosage of treatment within the first two or three weeks and then, then start to wean them away uh, from it. And then within, you know, four or five weeks, they're not getting any more treatment. And then they're coming back when they need um, in terms of that treatment. But they may still be coming back after five weeks because now we're working on rehabilitation with them um, instead of just doing manipulation and, uh, modalities and things like that. So it's very, very important in healthcare that you avoid adaptation and it can happen with anything, whether it's a pill or a physical intervention. And a lot of the, the physical stuff would have a certain amount of homework involved, meaning it's good to go to physio one hour a day, but the other 23 hours, six days a week. You got to do. You kind of got to do yeah, something, yeah, right? for sure. And and that that's a different uh, discussion in terms of when people say, "Well, I, I don't really get better. I'm going to the therapy, but it's not making a difference." A lot of people are relying that the therapy for that one hour is what is supposed to make them better. But that's really maybe maybe designed to get depending on the case, right? right. This is we're right. speaking generally here. But maybe that therapy session is designed to get things going, and then you've got to do the right thing. So. You know, the example is if you've got neck pain because of your posture at work um, and for whatever reason in the last week it's really exacerbated, you go get some therapy on it, it feels great after the therapy, but then you're going back to work and you're not modifying your posture. Same well, of thing. course your neck pain is going to come back. Like, let's just be realistic about that. That, that you know, would be the same as if you had a really bad cut and you decided to go get stitches um, at the walk-in clinic or urgent care clinic, and then you went out, and later that day you ripped the stitches open. Of course, you're going to bleed again, right? right? So, so that's the important thing about once an intervention is done, there's going to have to be things that you're often recommended that you should be doing for the rest of the day or the next few days until you come back, because that's what's going to hold the effect. 
416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Lots of time to uh, call Dr. Payne, ask about your questions, your problems you're having. Bring them on. We'd love to talk to you right till 1 o'clock this afternoon. Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. It's 12.53, a few minutes to go. you want to call through, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Free, asma- uh, free assessments, rather. Details. Yeah, the consultation. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, this is, don't think that you can only call me between 12 and 1 on Saturdays. Um, you can call me anytime. I, I had someone call yesterday. They left me a message and I called them back, you know, I think after 20 minutes and they were like, wow, that was fast. And it's me that personally calls you back. Um, so you just want to discuss what's going on. Um, just call, hit hit two, which will leave, right. it'll give you the option to leave me a voicemail. Leave me your name, your phone number. Very, very quick description. Some people will go on for, you know, minutes and minutes telling me their issue. I'm not going to listen to the whole thing. I'd rather talk to somebody. For sure. But, you know, if if you're having back pain, instead of giving me the whole history of your back pain, just tell me I'm calling you with regards to my back pain. That's all I need to know in that phone call. Then I'm going to call you and I'm going to say... You know, tell tell me what's going on. Because for you to just rant it off in the message doesn't do it justice because then I like to interrupt and ask some questions that gives me a little bit more information. We can have a quick discussion. Usually it's five to ten minutes. And from that discussion, I can figure out what what's the next step. Is it someone? Are you gonna? Do you need an assessment by me? Should you continue seeing your family doctor? And maybe just ask these questions. Are you already seeing the right people, or are you completely on the wrong track? Um, a lot of people are coming in to see me second opinions, right? They they've been told something is wrong. They're doing something for it. Yep. They're not necessarily a hundred percent confident, and they just want that second opinion. Happy to do that. That that's perfectly fine. Give me a call. One eight five five. 55DRLOU. That's as simple as it is. Or call me at or email me at info at paincarecanada.com or just go to Google, type in Pain Care Canada, uh, Pain Care Canada, and um, and from there you'll you'll find the website and all the information is there. And yeah, if you've got questions, concerns, whatever it may be, I'm happy to take your emails, your calls. Just that's cool. what I'm here for. Alyssa, hello there. Yes, hello. What's going on? Um, I've been diagnosed with vertigo. Okay. Uh, yep. Back in August. Mm-hmm. And um, so far, it's, you know, nothing really helps. It doesn't change. Right. Uh, it, I never feel really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, like in some people say, oh, you wake up and everything turning around. I, said, I never feel that way. Right. I just woke up. I actually came home from work and I feel dizzy and I continue to be dizzy. So then let's start with something. Does the does it feel like you're spinning around the room or this, the room is spinning around you? Um, it's more like unstable. Unstable. Okay, so, yeah. all right. Um, and you said you were diagnosed with vertigo. Who diagnosed you with that? Uh, it was in the hospital. Okay. What, what did they do in the hospital? Did they take any imaging of your brain, anything like that? Um, they did CT scan. Of the brain? Yep. And it came back normal? That's right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that just based on a CT scan, you can confidently say, again, vertigo is like saying fever, right? It's like, okay, uh, but what's causing the vertigo? Sometimes vertigo can be caused to a neck, because due to a neck issue, sometimes it could be caused due to uh, a problem with the crystals in the inner ear. Um, which is very common. Uh, sometimes it could be due to more serious things. That's why they would have taken a scan 
of the brain. So there's a bunch of different things that can can cause vertigo. And if you don't know the right thing or what exactly is causing the vertigo, it's going to be very hard to treat because you're going to treat the inner ear differently than you're going to treat the neck different than you would treat, say, something like a brain tumor, which you don't have because you had a CT scan. So um, I think I think the problem that I'm hearing from you is no one has actually got into the bottom of what is causing the vertigo. That's right. Yeah, and I'm if you can get to the bottom of what's causing the vertigo, then you can have the very specific treatment interventions, and those treatment interventions um, will will be more likely to work. So the best option is is give me a call. You're a good option for an assessment. Uh, we'll set up an assessment and we'll take a look at it and see if we can find anything. Oh, that sounds great. Okay. Thanks, Alyssa. Appreciate that. one 855 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U is the number. And uh, psychosocial can also cause that as well. Stress, anxiety. Absolutely. It could oh, just be stress. Sure. It, could, it could be a virus. Some, some yep. viruses are are really nasty and can cause people to feel unstable. There's so many different things uh, that can cause it. But this is very, very common where people are told that they have um, what I like to call a clinical sign because that's what that is. It's more of a clinical sign. Um, and and they're told, oh, yeah, you've got uh, sciatica or you've got yeah. vertigo or you've got this or you got that. If you don't know the underlying cause, how can you possibly be sure about how you treat it? Right. It just to me, it doesn't make any sense. I think you have to continue that investigative process and get to the bottom line. Once you get to the bottom line, then all of a sudden your treatment options are going to make a lot more sense. And then if your treatment options aren't working once that that's when you maybe have to consider, am I wrong? Is it a different diagnosis or, you know. Sometimes there's some things that just can't be helped for whatever reason. But yeah. in my experience, if you get the, 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 the first step is having the right diagnosis. If you figure out the right diagnosis, there's a better likelihood that whatever the treatment intervention is going to be is going to work because you're going to tailor it specific to that diagnosis. It just takes a bit of time. you got to work through it, right? Yeah, it takes a little yeah. bit of time, and, and people will often just, you know, I also think it's kind of the fault of um, the healthcare professional, right? If I see someone like this, I would say to them, hey, You know, if I was the emergency room doctor, I would have personally said, hey, you know, we've done a CT scan. You don't have anything in your brain that's malignant or potentially very serious, uh, but you do still have these symptoms of that are consistent with vertigo, but we need to figure out what's causing the vertigo. Right. That's not my job in an emergency room. My my job was to make sure that this it's isn't not an emergency. Yeah, not a stroke, not not anything. But please follow up with your family doctor or, you know, your other healthcare professional that you see and make sure that you get investigated onto what's causing the vertigo. That way you can get it treated properly. And that doesn't take very long to say. The unfortunate reality is that most professionals don't say yeah. that. And a good way to uh, wrap it up for today, moving forward, one eight five 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 doctor Lou D R L O U to get a hold of uh, Dr. Lou info at paincarecanada.com as well. Till next time, Dr. Pancho. Global News Radio, six forty Toronto.